0: Yeah, I know, I know. Everyone thinks if you mention the hurricane, it'll be better ratings. Ass. The following podcast contains... Profane or really offensive? What sort of profanity? Just profanity. Vile words. They were all bombed out of their mind. Yeah, the profanity bothers you. Explicit Language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you put more work into the thing you do for fun than the thing you do for money, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host Dave Bledsoe and this is a Friday, September 1st, 2017 Pathos of the Nerds edition of the show where we talk about the secrets that make nerds work. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Are You Thinking Podcast is brought to you by Neurotic Comics. Don't even think about shopping here. On the off chance you can find the store and manage to make awkward eye contact with one of our staff, it'll only remind you that you don't know dick about comics. No number of Batman posters your wall is going to change that besides their pictures of Ben Affleck. And erotic comics, we only carry first appearances of characters who crossed through time, space, universe, and publisher, while simultaneously humping Wolverine and resurrecting Superman. In stock, we have a near mint copy of Adventure Comics number one priced in a bargain, $720 million because, hey, we care about collectors. We're never open, we don't have a phone because phones are for rubes who haven't figured out to ask their endlessly pointless inane questions about the Watchmen and Walking Dead using powers of fucking telepathy you can't use a promo code we don't know what marketing is and for that matter we don't even have a system to track our inventory learn to deal with it and pretend like it's normal and maybe neurotic comics will give you the time of day do i see that happening no you're outside by the tavern cool i get drunk There are are seven ogres surrounding you. How could they surround us? I had Mordenkainen's magical watchdog cast. No, you didn't. I'm getting drunk! Are there any girls there? I totally did. You asked me if I wanted any equipment before this adventure, and I said no. But I need material components for all my spells, so I cast Mordenkainen's faithful watchdog. But you never actually cast it. Roll the dice to see if I'm getting drunk! (sighs) Yeah, you are. Are there any girls there? Yeah. I did, though. I completely said when you asked me... No, you didn't. You didn't actually say that you were casting the spell. So now there's ogres, okay? Ogres? Man, I got an ogre-slaying knife. It's got a plus nine against ogres. You're not there. You're getting drunk. Okay, but if there's any girls there, I want to do them. It has been a horrible summer. Just a shitty, shitty season. I'm not talking about, oh, like the weather sucked. But like every summer blockbuster movie from 1995 to 2005 suddenly burst off the screen and into reality. We have the evil Russians, threats of nuclear war, crooked politicians, cities literally destroyed, and honest to fucking god, real Nazis. And there's not an Indiana Jones in sight. What's even worse, fall is not looking too great, and I'm desperately afraid I'm going to wake up in a shitty, shitty Christmas movie before the year is over. Gavin, if I see one sign that says you mean everything to me, I'm punching you. Which is why I'm taking this week off to talk about some really frivolous nonsense that has no greater repercussions than maybe pissing off some nerds, which, I don't know, these days, can probably get you killed. I'm willing to take that risk. Because I was out with a friend the other night. Yeah, Gavin, I have a friend. One, anyway. And we were doing what Americans do these days when we just can't bear to mention politics. We were talking about Game of Thrones. Now normally this wouldn't be worth noticing, but we were doing so after many drinks in a shitty midtown dive bar. And the regulars, who haven't enjoyed popular culture since they were literally living the years portrayed in Mad Men. What does this look like? Looks like a young Dean Martin. We're getting kind of annoyed. So we adjourned to the patio to smoke cigarettes and dissect the lineage of young Aegon Targaryen VIII and whether or not doinking your aunt makes you a bad person. God, yes! To our surprise, our server not only enthusiastically joined our conversation, but was as big as, if not bigger, a nerd than we were. Our drunken discussion veered through nerd culture, finally arriving at the one single aspect of said culture that I know the least about. Comic books. Now, I've mentioned before that I was not a comic book kid. I cut my teeth on thick fantasy novels where the only art in the books were intricate maps and a half-naked woman over the shoulder of an impossibly brawny barbarian holding an axe on the cover. As I grew older, I became aware of comic book people, but they all seemed very intense about what they do, all the cataloging, boarding, bagging, not to mention memorizing the Byzantine plot lines that change every six months to me. So dude, this all seems like a lot of work, okay? I mean, shit. My friend who collects comics religiously with her significant other dedicates the kind of brain resources I associate with archiving a major metropolitan library. Once I'd recovered from my hangover the next morning, the whole evening got me thinking about how much work it is to be a nerd and how that can only be a labor of love. That's right. Nerds love jocks. We have feelings. Get used to it. We're paying your paychecks now. That ties us all together, is that we love things. And some of us love Firefly, and some of us love Game of Thrones, and some of us love, these are things that you'll be able to go see there in your history book. <laughs> some of us love Star Trek, or Star Wars, or anime, or games, or, or fantasy, or science fiction. Some of us love completely different things, but we all love those things so much that we travel for thousands of miles, which is probably easy for you, but it's still difficult. <laughs> We're still on fossil fuels. I don't know what you're going to <laughs> it's It's difficult. Um, we come from all over, in some cases all over the world, so that we can be around people who love the things that we love the way that we love them. And I'm not talking about Will Wheaton getting paid to be a nerd, which is nice work if you can get it. But how people who have passions about things they're not paid for put a shit ton of time and money into those passions. It's not a bad thing, but it is kind of curious. This kind of monomaniacal over obsession of details isn't by anything new, nor am I a passive observer in the culture. I'm a participant. Now, my nerd runs hardest for role-playing games, the old-fashioned dead tree, plastic polyhedral, hardcore kill things that take their shit, that is old stool gaming. Dungeons and Dragons? That's the crap. But not just D&D, but all the other games like Call of Cthulhu, Paranoia, Traveler, Gamma World, Star Frontiers, Chills, Tunnels and Trolls. If there's a game out there that involves pointy ears and swords, i probably played it and more than likely have it on my bookshelf. And as for D&D itself, I spent years reading the rule books for advanced Dungeons and Dragons, to the point if i can't quote the text from memory i can tell you what book it is and where in that book you can find the rule you're looking for i might even still read the books while sitting on the shitter to this very day what a nerd nerd alert (laughs) it was not just out of pleasure but the necessity of knowing all the rules. Because if your eighth level magic user is trapped in a silence 15-foot radius spell with a death slot attacking the party, you fucking need to know what spells only have a somatic and material component and are effective against the slotty. Further, you need to know what spells the death slot is vulnerable to. I mean, there's no point casting a fireball against a monster that saves at plus four against fire-based attacks, even if you overcome its magic resistance. And you need to have this shit on the tip of your tongue because Joey is a shit DM and always tries to juke the stats on his monster because Joey hates fucking losing. Well, Jesus, Joey, you're the fucking DM, so you know the monsters are probably going to lose most of the time. Sorry. And, and by the way, if you're in a silence 15-foot radius and against a slot, there's no spells without a verbal component that will help. You're going to need to move your character. But not everyone is that intense. A lot of people start simple with things like Game of Thrones. George R. R. Martin's sprawling novels became water cooler television for America when HBO created this beautifully written and acted show with an awful lot of tits. You say that like it's a bad thing. Now, Game of Thrones is kind of like a nerd primer for people who don't nerd. The complex plots, the foreshadowing, the layer of the show invite the viewer to dive into speculation and postulation on what a particular scene meant or to engage in drunken conversations about how exactly a dead dragon, which by all logic does not breathe at all, could possibly breathe some weird blue stuff that destroys ice walls. Or you know, it sends them off to websites carefully crafted and curated by people who know a lot more Game of Thrones than you do. And those are the motherfuckers who do the kind of work I'm talking about. When you want to confirm that Podrick's cock truly is magic and you Google Pod's magic cock. That's our fan name. You are transported to a website where people have studied the text of George R.R. Martin like a medieval monk studied Thomas Aquinas. You'll find everything you ever wanted to know about Podrick's cock and several things, quite honestly, you did not need to know. It's good stuff. Uncut. Who is creating all that content? Is it George R.R. R. Martin? <laughs> no. Is it interns at HBO? Postdocs at the Institute for the Study of Westerosi Culture? Wannabe Maesters jotting down notes at the Citadel? Nope. You wanna know who it is? A bunch of goddamn nerds. Yep, just a bunch of people who love the books. And trust me, these are book people. They may enjoy the HBO version but they're analyzing the books the way we wish the forensic team analyzed the murder of a young black man by the police. They're spraying Luminol, digging under fingernails and taping for DNA on every single goddamn word Martin ever wrote in their free time. No one's paying them for this. The only reward they're getting is the satisfaction of a job well done and the joy of telling another nerd that they are wrong about everything they think. And that, my friends, is a life that is worth more than all the gold. Now a lot of really bright people pin the rise of this hard-working, passionate nerd class to the rise of the internet. The most common phenomena attributed to this culture is the X Files. I mean, yeah, there were other water cooler shows and plot lines before the X Files and the truth being out there. Of course, who shot Jr. for instance, or who killed Laura Palmer? Don't tell me, Gavin, I've managed sweet ignorance about this for this long, and I don't want to know now. But none of these inspired a dedicated, passionate fan base like the X-Files. What the hell did the X-Files have that other shows did not? You can put it down in your little report. I don't think you're ready for what I think. Oh my god, X-Files had everything. I mean, it had aliens, monsters, shadowy government conspiracies, MTV's Dan Cortez, and most of all, two stars with so much sexual tension between them, you popped wood just looking at the listing on the TV guide. Mulder and Scully inspired their fans to delve into every facet of the show to try and understand the secrets being hidden. The 90s was the heyday of the conspiracy movement before Americans got way too serious about their conspiracies. So the content was perfect for nerds to get wrapped up in. At the same time, it literally created the other side of X-Dow's, X-Files fandom And an entirely different kind of nerd The shippers The shippers are those fans obsessed with a love interest getting together And yeah, there had been shippers throughout pop cultures But X-Files shippers were not content to wait for Chris Carter To put Mulder and Scully in bed together So they said so Fuck you, Joe Brown. I do it myself And they wrote it for themselves Reams of fans created fan fiction where the protagonists fuck and fuck well. And when they got tired of having Mulder and Scully fuck, they had Mulder and Skinner fuck. Or the Lone Gunman fuck each other in one big pile-on orgy. Or the Smoky Man and Dwayne Barry, And they put it all online for other shippers to read. The uh, Slash Fiction, which is what this was called was not, uh, it wasn't good. It was a shitbox. Well, yeah. But there was a lot of it. And people were really passionate about it. And that was something new. I mean, okay, yeah, there might have been people out there that thought, you know, like Desi Arnaz's Ricky Ricardo and fucking Fred Mertz from I Love Lucy was something hot. And maybe they wrote it down, but at least they never showed it to anyone. Hey, Fred! Would you like to fuck me up the ass. It took the perfect combination of story, characters, actors, and the internet to put nerds uh, to work in droves. People who previously slaved quietly over mega dungeons or archiving their 600 issues of Iron Man or learning conversational elvish from Tolkien now had a place to find other nerds and they combined their works into a hive mind. Admittedly, no one got paid and a lot of times you got mocked but you did get to do a whole lot of work on something you loved and you got nerd cred. Along with four dollars, it gets you a disgusting coffee drink at Starbucks. I mean, this shit has been going on a long time. It certainly predated the X-Files. Is there out there some sort of proto-fan that nerds modeled themselves after, perhaps without even knowing? Yes, there is, and welcome to The Way Back. Find your way back! Find your way back to home. In January of 1937, Reverend John Rutledge and his family welcomed us to the neighborhood of Five Points in Chicago. Reverend Rutledge's sermons on the struggles of life and brotherhood of man touched the hearts of millions of Americans. Which is odd, because Rutledge and Five Points were no more real than Pod's magic cock. Uh. Put new does in your washing machine, finest does you've ever seen. Bigger news now when you sing, D-U-Z does everything. The new does brings you The Guiding Light, created by Erna Phillips. (laughs) The family, the neighborhood, and the show were the creations of a woman named Irma Phillips, who would go on to be the queen of soaps, giving the world not only the guiding light, the longest-running soap opera in history, but another world and as the world turns, creating a genre known for the companies that sponsored them, soap operas. Originally, these daytime dramas were radio fodder, designed to be consumed while women did their housework in 15-minute domestic dramas that were intensely family-focused. They shared a certain DNA with the evening serials that dominated early American radio, in that they ran their narrative arcs over long periods of weeks or months, and usually ended each episode at a cliffhanger to bring the listener back tomorrow for more soap ads. How do you spell his name? It's Dr. Robert Hewitt. H e w i t t. Daddy, Daddy, Daddy! Chucky, something's happened. Something's happened. I knew it would. I knew it. I'm coming, Chucky. I'm coming. I'm coming, Chucky. Unlike the western or crime-focused evening man-centric siblings soaps, ran heavy on melodrama and tragedy because that's what soap companies thought women wanted. I don't know if it was the chicken or the egg, but it turns out women did want it, and soap operas took off like a bomber heading for Berlin. And they spawned an obsessive culture amongst their consumers as strong as anything we see amongst the pining shippers of today. When TV replaced the radio as the vehicle of mass consumptions, soaps went right along with them. From Mental Floss's Sex and Death in the Afternoon and Oral History of American Soap Operas comes the following excerpt. In 1961... On the edge of night, a character was killed saving her toddler from an oncoming car. The switchboards lit up so much that C B at CBS, that the actors who played the husband and wife on the show appeared at themselves at the end of an episode a few days later to explain why the character was killed. Nothing like this had happened before or since on a daytime or nighttime show. Soaps were ingrained in American culture, both as a genuine phenomenon amongst their audiences and as a punchline among those who do not partake in their stocky goodness. Dr. Remoré, report to first floor emergency staff. Oh, okay. Well then, uh, yeah, I guess that's me. Anyone else need to go on the elevator? Dr. Wong? Dr. Wong? No, no. They only said you. Oh, okay. All right. I love you, Drake. Yeah, whatever. Drake! Look out! Drake! Ah! Did they just kill off Joey? No! Now, maybe. By the mid-1960s, the vanilla blandness of soap drama began to give way to a more daring story arc. And daytime TV filled up with illegitimate children, adultery, and murder. Again, from the Mental Floss article Erica Kane had daytime TV's first legal abortion and all my children in 1973. It was like they're going to tell an abortion story and use Erica Kane? It was such a big deal. But they botched it years later the storyline, not the abortion, by negating that it was an abortion. Instead, it turns out. She had a demon seed child. Oh yes, pod friends, soaps went down the sci-fi fantasy horror roads because after the 5,000th time an evil twin has displaced their sibling in the marriage bed, even the vast audience of Midday boredom needed something to spice up the story. To be sure, the, the themes revolved around sex, lies, betrayals, and more sex, and they were obsessed over by three generations of Americans the same way we are fixated on Game of Thrones which shares more than just a little DNA with soap operas if in a more evolved form to be sure but definitely recognizable. While Erica Kane never fucked her nephew you know at least once it was batted around the writer's room. Growing up in the 70s and 80s my mother watched all my children the way I would later watch Babylon 5. She knew the characters, their backstories, their family, their failed loves, their schemes for revenge, the way I knew that Londo was falling under the influence of the Shadow long before the show made it clear. Furthermore, she could tell you which actors are not original to the characters and name the actors who played that character before. It's not that my mother was writing Erica Kane slash fiction. It's that soap operas were a part of her life, an interlude and entertainment she would be there for if she possibly could. If she never took time off from work to watch her stories, there certainly were people who did do exactly that, and not all of them were women. Not now. I have a 10-minute break and my soap is on. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the generation that created the nerd culture and online fandom grew up during the golden age of soaps, because the wedding of Luke and Laura was a fucking thing in America. I, Laura Weber Baldwin, take thee Lucas Lorenzo Spencer, take thee Lucas Lorenzo Spencer, to be my lawful wedded husband, to be my lawful... Why a husband? Oh my god, that hair! It's so 80s! All of a sudden, pop culture was churning out shit those of us who could not run fast or throw a ball could get into. The geek generation before us, the kids of, you know, early comic books and serial movies like Flash Gordon, began moving into positions where they could put their nerd passions into play and suddenly, we got good sci-fi and fantasy with decent writing or role-playing games that necessitated concentration and attention to play, not, not to mention more studying than we were putting into our math class uh, that was actually probably just me computers went from a room size to a desk size so we could obsess over things with, in a digital way and we could nerd out and archive everything that we'd written for ourselves which prior to that we were either typing on a manual typewriter which drove our parents nuts or sadly writing in our journals and you know what? Our parents were concerned about all of this. My parents came to me and they said, where did you, wh- why are you obsessed about this? Why, do, why are you playing this game with elves and dwarves? And they would shake our head and mutter at us and say, where, where did you get this? And I looked at my mom and I said, You are right. I learned it by watching you. All because Irma Phillips wrote some melodramatic shit so she could sell soap. Modern nerd culture is now consumed by pop culture. No longer are we mocked and shoved headfirst into toilets because we were walking down the hall clutching a monster manual. Fuck. The guys who are shoving us into toilets are now they turned into us with their fantasy leagues. Dude. There's zero difference between your fantasy pick quarterback and my fourth-level halfling. Adults spend hours pondering the plot twist of a show with fucking dragons, and some of the highest grossing box offices of the decade features adult human beings wearing tights. But the true domain of the nerd, the sigil of the house geek, remains the obsession and drive to document that obsession for other nerds to see. Pop culture has adopted the tropes of nerd culture without truly understanding what it means to be a nerd. And I think this might be the problem with these fucking man-children that make up the red pillars, men's rights activists, gamer gators, and of course the fucking alt-right, all of which claim to have spun out of the hyper-intense internet nerdosphere. They come from a world where their interests separate them from others, but they don't create. They only consume the things they love. They're vampires on other people's creativity and passions, and then have the fucking audacity to claim it for themselves. I mean, take poor Pepe, a cartoon frog that wanted nothing more than to get stoned and hang out with his buds while pissing with his pants around his ankles pepe's creator had to fucking sue some alt-right dick stain because he used the frog in a goddamn children's book filled with nazi bullshit now admittedly he won but it's demonstrative exactly what i mean about these limp dick chronic masturbators these fuckers are closed-minded, selfish little mudfuckers that perverted the idea of what it means to obsess over something into a paranoid ball of bullshit, all because someone out there likes the same things they do, and it makes them nervous. It gave rise to an insular group of shitheads who observe all the forms of being a nerd without ever once understanding what it is that makes nerd culture work. Because nerd is about loving something and about doing something, about experiencing something as a participant, not just an observer. You know what? I will never write for a hit HBO show. I think that goes without saying. But I can be a part of that show or the books that spawned it by sharing my passion for it with others. I can take 20 minutes to explain why the Oath of the Night's Watch is so important if someone asks for it. Gentlemen nerds, do not wax philosophic on the fundamentals of westeros politics to anyone, much less a woman, unless she or they ask for it. Because she or they might just know what the fuck they're talking about. I can spend three hours sketching out maps for the Dungeon of the Lich King that will never be published for thousands, but played and enjoyed by maybe half a dozen if I'm lucky. You can share and enjoy the things you love. You can obsess over them with your family. You can even write pornographic fan fiction where Spock and Riker make sweet, passionate love on Risa and be as fucking nasty as you wanna be. Maybe you ought not share that with your family. Unless, of course, you're a Targaryen, and then, you know, all bets are off. So I say, if you want a nerd, do it right. You don't have to love dragons and incest or want two FBI agents to fuck or even a one-handed farm boy to get over his daddy issues and finally save the fucking universe for once and all, but love something, be into something, share it with other people. I guess even if your nerd is a bunch of dudes in tight pants playing with their balls, just do it and then share it because you love it. But hey, again, try to take it easy on the incest. Because that's it's just creepy. Now I'm gonna end this show because I'm gonna go finish my Erica Kane slash Vic, where she gets together with Kendall Hart, lead by no less than Buffy herself, Sarah Michelle Gellar. What's that, Gavin? Kendall Hart is Erica's daughter. Fuck. Oh man, more fucking incest. Apparently, this is what we're doing these days. That is it for our show this very nerdy week. I know that a lot of things happened that probably I should have talked about. The horrible flooding in Texas, the pardons, just all the really shitty shit that went down. But I needed a break and goddammit, I think you did too. Kevin sure as fuck did. I mean, I found him crying in the bathroom on Wednesday. But it turns out he was crying because he... Felt Littlefinger deserved a second chance. Speaking of second chances, you could help this show make a first impression on new listeners by rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you write nice things about the shows you listen to. Admittedly, we actually want you to lie and say you like the show, but most most first impressions are based on a lie anyway. Speaking of lies, I am frequently lying or just being wrong on Twitter, and you can point that out to me at the hell underscore podcast or the show name on Facebook. All of the shows are at the show name on SoundCloud. No, not for much longer. We're thinking about Libsyn or Podden. We'll, we'll come back to that sooner or later. Or at www.whatthehellpodcast.com. For me, Dungeon Master Dave, producer, comic book guy Gavin, and all the other fantasy footballers on this show, we want to say, you know, girl, we know what them elf mean. All we want you to do is talk nerdy to me. We'll see you all next week. just please talk nerdy to me. Talk nerdy to me. Can't resist that uh-huh. And what's the calling go on. I think that ours match Cause I know with me you get sore Durham strength to Hogwarts I'm pretty sure I'm me who cast a curse girl Of I'm the Imperious One Been to Comic-Con, hope you speak my language Your Harley Quinn don't need explaining All I really need for you to do is Just please talk nerdy to me